This week on Geek Explained, with DC Rebirth in the rearview mirror and 5G on the way, we're taking a look at the character who is arguably the most important of both as we chronicle Wally West. Welcome back to Geek Explained, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we Geek Explain it. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is all about one of my favorite comic book characters of all time, The Flash, Wally West. In our latest edition of the Geek Explained Chronicle, we're going to be going over his entire history, from his humble beginnings as the nephew of Iris West, all the way to his godlike ascension at the end of Flash Forward and into 5G. We've also got the latest weekly review on the newest episode of Doctor Who, and of course, this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, so I've got some news for you this week. Actually, a lot of news. This ended up being a pretty uh, newsworthy week, so let's go ahead and jump into it. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. And uh, let's see, I think I'm going to start with, let's start with miscellaneous. So starting off with miscellaneous, uh, two big um, news worthy uh, items this week. First off, the one I'm more excited about. We got the first reveal trailer and gameplay of Samurai Jack Battle Through Time. And oh my god, does it look clean. I am super excited about this. I've been wanting a true blue Samurai Jack game for probably my entire life. I was one of those kids, if you're old enough and you remember the Cartoon Network website, where they had that um, that super pared down uh Samurai Jack game on it was like a browser game basically like going through his entire journey to get into his first battle with Aku before he gets sent in the future I played the shit out of that game and I loved it so much so getting the opportunity to play another Samurai Jack game I have loved Samurai Jack for a very long time I'm really excited about it looks really good and it should be dropping this summer really looking forward to it and then in another piece of news completely unrelated we got some big corporate news business 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 uh Bob Iger who has kind of been the uh spearhead of Disney for God, it feels like decades at this point, um, is officially stepping down as CEO at Disney. Uh, Bob Iger was the guy who really um, kind of moved forward with the uh, acquisitions of Marvel, of Star Wars, and all those properties, and has kind of been the guy at the top that everybody, like Kathleen Kennedy, like Kevin Feige, basically answers to. So it's sort of unclear on exactly what the reason is for him stepping down, but we do know that he is going to be basically doing the exact same job. He's going to be overseeing the new 
uh, CEO in the transition, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I don't know what this is going to do to, uh, I guess, stock market and business stuff. But uh, I thought it was worth talking about, especially because as we're going to get to, there was another stepping down this week that I have a lot of thoughts on. Uh, jumping into TV news, uh, Friends is returning for one single HBO Max unscripted special. Uh, you all know how much I love Friends. It is one of my favorite TV shows of all time, and I'm really, really freaking excited about it. Um, there's no... Uh, timeline on when this is going up, when it's going to be filmed, what it's going to be about, but I am really excited about this. Should be really, really good. And then, uh, big news also in the TV world that Harley Quinn, which just wrapped up this past week in a great finale, uh, has already been greenlit and is already going for a season two, which releases on April 3rd, like just over a month from now after the uh, conclusion of season one. I think that's incredible. That's awesome. I can't believe that we're getting it so quickly. But Harley Quinn is probably, it's a toss-up between this and Doom Patrol. But I would say it's right up there as the best offering from DC Universe so far. So I'm excited about it, especially because we got two new casting announcements for this upcoming season. Those of Mr. Freeze and Catwoman. Uh, Catwoman is going to be voiced by Sanaa Lathan. Pretty sure I said that wrong, and I apologize. I'm not really familiar with her work, but she has been on The Affair and Family Guy. But I'm really freaking excited about Mr. Freeze because he will be voiced by Alfred Molina. That's right, Doc Ock from Spider-Man 2 is going to be voicing Mr. Freeze. I'm really excited about it. Uh, this show did such a great job at really honestly reimagining Gotham and the entire uh, rogues gallery of Batman and kind of updating it, modernizing it, and making it just so fun to watch. The show really was a blast. If you haven't watched it, please binge the entire season. It is absolutely worth it, and I cannot wait for season two, so I'm really excited about that. Jumping into film news, uh, we got some big news when it comes to Matt Reeves' Batman, namely some Batsuit leaks. Uh, after the uh, camera test that Matt Reeves officially released on Vimeo, uh, that made the rounds last week. We got some footage from the actual set of, I'm assuming it's a stunt double, uh, on the Glasgow set. They are filming in Scotland right now uh, on Batman on his Batbike. Uh, Batbike looks interesting. The Batsuit is really interesting. And what I was saying last week about them uh, pulling a lot of, uh, at least to me, it felt like a lot of like um, uh, Batman White Knight... Arkham Origins and uh, Batman Noel, I think that's spot on, especially when we're seeing more shots of this. Uh, we also got to see the ears, and the ears look about uh, mid-height, but they're very narrow. They're very small. Uh, kind of reminds me of the Long Halloween cowl, if you are familiar with that book. Uh, if you have not checked it out yet, we did a full Geek Explained Spotlight on Batman Long Halloween last year that you should check out with my good brother, Andrew. Uh, but yeah, it was really, really interesting it's a different look for sure and it's different from i i'm comfortable saying any live action bat suit that we've seen so far uh, and also weirdly has goggles but it's kind of unclear on whether that's going to be an actual part of 
the suit or if that's just for the stuntman because it's raining constantly and he's riding a motorcycle. It's kind of unclear. Uh, we're going to have to wait to see actual like set photos of Pattinson in the suit because we'll get a better uh, understanding of what the suit is going to really look like. And also there's been this rumor where I guess the rumor is, the thought is, that this is like the prototype Batsuit and that by the end of the movie he's going to have another Batsuit that's going to be a little bit more streamlined. I'm okay with that. I like this one. I think it's really interesting, but it is a little bulky for my taste. I would like something more pared down, um, more Batman White Knight, less Batman Arkham Origins, even though that is a very, very cool uh, bat suit and it matches because they're both in year two of their career but overall really digging the suit there was a lot of controversy online a lot of people loved it a lot of people hated it i am in right now i'm in the really really liked it category i think so that is that uh we also got news that jurassic world 3 begins filming or began filming this past week um cool I <laughs> I thought uh, Jurassic World 1 was fine. I haven't seen Jurassic World 2, and I'm probably not going to see this. But for fans of uh, Jurassic World, I think this is cool for them. Uh, it was also revealed that the new James Bond film, No Time to Die, Daniel Craig's uh, swan song, his final outing as Bond for now, will be officially clocking in at right around two and a half hours, which is cool. I'm all for it especially if that means we get more of the characters that they've teased in these trailers. Really, really looking forward to it. Uh, Venom 2 also released first looks at uh, Tom Hardy and Woody Harrelson. Tom Hardy is looking as disheveled as ever as Eddie Brock, and I thought that worked. That works for him, just for not just for Eddie Brock, but also just for Tom Hardy. That's just kind of his, uh, his look. So I'm totally cool with that, because that's just kind of his aesthetic. Uh, we also got the... Uh, some set photos of Woody Harrelson as um, as Cletus Cassidy, more clear than the super grainy shot that Tom Hardy released. And boy, oh boy, I would love to know who in the wig department Woody Harrelson pissed off. Because this wig is not as bad as his Annie wig from the post-credit scene of Venom 1, but it's still not good. It's still really not good. I'm hoping that in the film they're going to be able to touch it up so that it looks okay, but yeesh, that does not look great. So that is that. And then finally in film news, uh, Superman Red Sun dropped this past week. Uh, I'm thinking about doing like a full-on, like, Geeksplain Extra review for it. Let me know if you would like me to do that. Feel free to reach out uh, via either social media or through email if you want to hear my full thoughts on the film. But overall, loved it. Really, 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 really loved it. They changed a lot from the initial uh, book, which I guess you really had to because that book, as good as it is, and we did an episode on it, go check it out, uh, is dense. And they can only do like an hour and a half film for this so overall what they kept i really liked um and some of the things i got rid of i was sad that they did but overall great film one of the i would say comfortably one of the top five best animated films of dc of all time so i'm really 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 excited about it and you should go check it out and then finally we're heading into comics news which is um which is big stuff Big stuff. Oh, sorry. One last thing on TV news. Um, Disney Plus 
uh, in their search for She-Hulk has kind of released a, uh, I guess, the rumor, the word on the street, is that they're currently looking for an Alison Brie type to play uh, She-Hulk, and my thought is just grab Alison Brie. Uh, <laughs> she's like pretty much wrapped up with glow now and i have been saying from the very beginning that allison brie would make an incredible jennifer walters and she would do so 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 good at the physicality for the character especially after her work on glow i think it's a match made in heaven they need to pick allison brie now jumping over to comics news um before we get into the big talking points i'm going to do this quick one because i have a lot to say on the uh dan didio news but first off we finally got the reveal for star wars project luminous and it has been revealed to be star wars the high republic basically it's been announced that this is going to be a full-on uh, media campaign a multimedia campaign through both novels and comics chronicling the era of the high republic so 200 years before the skywalker saga where the jedi were truly like defenders of peace throughout the galaxy it's an awful, awful Alec Guinness impression. But I'm pretty excited about it. It looks really cool. Um, it's going to be great to actually see the Jedi out and about doing stuff, like roaming and patrolling. So it should be cool. And plus, Charles Sewell is heading up the whole thing when it comes to um, mostly novels, but a lot of comic stuff as well. So I'm really excited about it. It should be good. But the big news coming out of comics, the comics world this week, was that Dan Didio, who has been basically the co-publisher with Jim Lee since 2010, I believe, so a decade, uh, is out from DC Comics. It has been made in no uncertain terms that he was, that this was not really amicable, that he was let go, uh, whether or not, we still don't know a whole lot. And that's where um, my thoughts kind of come in, because a lot of people have been making a lot of conjecture. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate, because even though I didn't agree with a lot that Dan Didio did as co-publisher of DC Comics, um, I don't have like this burning hate for the guy that a lot of people do. I've met him. He's a really nice dude. Uh, but I will say that I have disagreed with a lot of his choices and a lot of his treatment of certain characters because he was the kind of guy who really put a stamp on it as I think in an interview he said something around around the and I might be misquoting him uh, basically saying like we don't make comics for kids anymore we make comics for 45 year olds and in that he had such a focus on the original characters and this disdain it seems for legacy characters which was really sad and it caused a lot of friction with a lot of comic book readers myself included um i'm interested to see how this is going to shake up the hierarchy of dc comics uh there's a lot going on 5g which we will be talking about in our main in our main uh course of the episode really was dan didio's brainchild and really was like kind of his last project so it's unclear exactly how much input he's going to have on that going forward uh whether 5g is going to be continuing on and in what form but um uh it's it's being rumored and speculated right now that he was essentially fired by not really uh dc but more like at&t and warner brothers 
And again, uh, we don't know a whole lot of the facts. We might never know all the facts involved, but um, I really liked that a lot of the uh, a lot of his peers, a lot of his uh, coworkers in the comic community, really came together to talk about how good he was and how much of a passion he had for the DC comics. And it shows. It has showed this entire time really that he has a passion for these characters and for this universe. But I'm hoping that this ends up being a situation where it can be a blessing in disguise, where we can see the situation improve for specific, um, uh, what's it called, legacy characters, as well as kind of a refocus on making sure that the comics world is more inclusive of those characters and just in general. But overall, um, Dan Didio's a big loss for DC because he really was kind of the uh, steering the ship during the new 52 during rebirth and everything in between. Uh, so his, uh, his absence will be felt in DC comics for sure. And this kind of also leads into our final uh, piece, which is this ridiculous wild rumor right now that if 5G does not succeed or sell well with DC Comics, that AT&T will be closing down DC Comics as a whole. Um, I don't... I just... First off, first off, this news, and I'm using air quotations because you can't see what I'm doing, um, was leaked, once again, air quotations, from Ethan Van Skyver on Twitter. And Ethan Van Skyver is not anybody... Like, he drew some great uh, Green Lantern comics for a while, but he is such a terrible person that he can't get work at DC Comics anymore. So the fact that he would all of a sudden know these uh, inner workings of how DC Comics works and its relationship to AT&T is just ridiculous. Uh, nevertheless, the rumor has gone through the rounds of media and it's worth talking about i don't think it's a possibility because regardless of um of how you feel about dc comics it is not this dumpster fire that people think that it is dc comics is you know fairly do is doing fairly well despite certain choices that they've made in the last couple of years um dc comics is still doing well for itself and it's really starting to turn a corner in its film division as well so i don't think this is something we need to worry about if we start to get more info on it i will absolutely keep you folks uh, abreast of the situation but i don't think it's anything that we need to worry about right now um but all that said as we talk about DC Comics, its past, its future, that brings us to someone who has traveled throughout both, which is our main course of the episode, the entree, if you will, which is our latest Geeksplained Chronicle on Wally West. So I have this theory, I have this um, 
I guess it's not so much a theory as as much like a life view that when it comes to certain things, certain characters, certain ideas, especially if there are multiple versions of that thing, that character, that idea, that there is a pretty distinct difference between your favorite thing and then what you equate to that thing, what you think is synonymous with that thing. For me, when it comes to the Flash, my favorite Flash, and I've made this very clear, is Jay Garrick. He's always been my favorite Flash. I just love his character. I love everything that he represents, everything that he stands for. But when I think of the Flash, when I talk about who my Flash is, when someone asks, you know, who is who is the Flash? It's always been Wally West. Um, and that might be confusing. Uh, I've talked to people who both agree with that idea and um, also people who have no idea what I'm talking about. But for me, it's pretty clear, you know, having someone who is your favorite version of the character as well as the iconic version of that character. And for me, Wally West is the Flash. I don't care how many Flashes there have been. I don't care, you know, what they've, how they've treated the character. I don't care how in the comics and on TV and in the films now, Barry Allen is essentially Wally West just without the name. Um, Wally West has always been my Flash. Wally West is the character who I grew up with as the Flash, and he's the character who I think of when someone says the Flash. And today, this week, we're going to be talking about Wally West in our latest Geek Explain Chronicle, which is our new segment. We started it off last month with Black Mask, where we're going to run down everything that you need to know about the character so that you can jump right in with where that character is in the comics right now. And I think now is the perfect time to do this episode on Wally West because last week we wrapped up uh, Flash Forward, which was Wally's solo series, solo mini series, and it's basically propelling him into the future of DC Comics with Generation Zero, 5G, and all that stuff. And we will be talking about that, of course. But right now, where Wally West is, is so important to DC Comics as a whole. So I think this is the perfect time to talk about Wally West, everything about him. And by the end of this episode, I think you're going to know everything that you need to know about this character so that you can jump in on any point in his timeline, anywhere in his comics run, and be able to enjoy the character, the man, the myth, the legend that is Wally West. So... First off, let's go ahead and jump into a brief bio about the character. Uh, first off, Wally West, uh, his full name is Wallace Rudolph West. Uh, his aliases are Kid Flash and The Flash. His first appearance was in The Flash number 110 way back in December 1959. This man is 70 years old, I believe, is the... Uh, I might have to check my math on that, but... Uh, so he's been around for a while, and Wally West was created by John Broom and Carmine Infantino. His team affiliations include the Flash family, the Teen Titans, the Justice League of America, the Justice League Europe, the Justice League Task Force, the Justice League Elite, as well as the Titans. And his powers and abilities include the ability to have... He's basically a Speed Force conduit, is the layman's term that has been uh, given to his uh, to his abilities. And being a Speed Force conduit, someone who is in contact with the Speed Force and is able to 
uh, use the speed force and adapt its power. It's given him superhuman speed, agility, stamina, reflexes, and durability. He's also able to generate a speed force aura when he runs, making him basically impervious to any kind of like friction or anything that has to do with uh, people burning up when they run super fast. This, uh, this uh, speed force conduit ability has also given him electrokinesis. He can throw lightning. Uh, he can manipulate lightning as well. It's also given him enhanced senses and molecular acceleration to the point that he uh, is able to heal quickly from any wounds and is also able to uh, accelerate his molecules, molecules to phase through buildings, though that was not always the case, as well as accelerating his molecules to traverse the multiverse. Uh Unique among speedsters, he's also able to uh, lend and steal speed from others, both uh, animate and inanimate objects that are both alive and uh, not alive, both connected to the speed force and not connected to the speed force. So if he wants to gift someone's speed to give them temporary super speed, he can do that. If he wants to sap all speed from someone to turn them from a normal human being into a statue, which he has done, uh, he can do that as well. And also, because of his connection to the speed force, he is able to travel through time and dimensions. So that is a brief bio, all you need to know basically to get you ready for this uh, chronicle of his history, and this is going to be a long one. I'm just letting you know that now. Uh, we're gonna through. We're gonna go through his entire history as a character. I bullet pointed it as much as I could, but this is a character I'm really excited to talk about, and a character who has had a long-standing history. So we're gonna be talking about him to give you any to give you a kind of. Um, uh, what's it called uh, parameters of what I've of how long his history is the black mask episode which is our first geek explained chronicle was about a page and a half this one is six pages so <laughs> we're gonna go ahead and go through it and uh let's let's go on a run folks so wally wally's childhood uh, we're going to start here. So Wally was born to Rudolph and Mary West in Blue Valley, Nebraska. Uh, that's right. He's a Midwestern boy. And as a child, he idolized the Flash. He was, he was his hero. And this also kind of stemmed from the fact that he had a really strained relationship with his parents. Uh, they were not the best parents. They did what they could, but they had trouble connecting with Wally and Wally had trouble connecting with them. They were very focused on their image, not to the point of like a Roman Sionis, but they were very, uh, they're very much about them as a family being like the kind of nuclear family ideal where the, uh, child was subservient to the parents, so on and so forth. Um, and that put a lot of strain on Wally, especially between him and his father. His father had unrealistic expectations for him, and Wally felt those expectations all the time. And it strained that relationship to the point that he didn't feel like he could have a positive relationship with his father. Uh, this led to his friendship with uh, his father's sister, Iris West. Uh, that's right. He is the nephew of Iris West, and from a very young age, Wally had a deep, deep friendship with his aunt iris the two of them connected in a way that he could never connect to his parents and it also helped that iris was living in central city which was the place of the flash and at 10 years old wally visited his aunt iris to see you know 
what's going on uh, just to uh, meet her, see what life is in the big city, and also to possibly get the opportunity to meet the Flash. Before he did that, however, he meets Iris's boyfriend, Barry Allen, who is a police detective uh, within the city and also a friend of the Flash. I'm using air quotes <laughs> again. Uh, Barry Allen promises Wally West that he will, uh, you know, you know, move some strings, uh, so that he can meet the Flash, and pretty soon, Barry introduces Wally to the Flash, and it's everything that Wally wanted, uh, the Flash decides to bring him on a day where he could show him what being the Flash is like, which pretty much ends in him bringing him to his lab, where Barry Allen was first struck by lightning and turned into the Flash. And it just so happens that in this specific instance, lightning does strike twice, because while uh, Wally is standing next to the exact same uh, shelf where all of the chemicals were, where Barry Allen was struck by lightning... And for some reason, Barry had put all those exact same chemicals back on the shelf near a window because Barry just doesn't learn, I guess. Uh, another lightning bolt strikes Wally, throwing him into the chemicals and giving him powers just like Barry. Following this, uh, The Flash gives Wally a costume identical to The Flash's, so it's basically Mini Flash, and dubs him Kid Flash. Uh, pretty soon after this, he defeats his very first villain, Mr. Element, and is kind of brought into the superhero world. Uh, after his first year, Barry reveals his identity to Wally West, which I think is super interesting. I've always loved the idea that Wally West didn't know who his mentor was for the entire first year that they were. Uh, teammates and so the two of them were just kind of working off this hey uh, I trust you like handshake agreement and finally after a year he reveals himself to Wally and the two uh, strengthen their relationship following this uh, after completing his first year Wally also dons a brand new costume that is the costume that he is kind of known for in his Kid Flash garb with the uh, yellow boots red uh, bottoms, yellow top, red gloves, and the red lightning bolt, and uh, the hair-exposed cowl, I don't know, the half-cowl, I guess you could call it, where it shows off his red hair, which I found out was interesting. Uh, initially, in his comic run, when he donned this costume, he would dye his hair brown, which is why a lot of times uh, artists draw Wally West with brown hair. Uh, he initially did this so that he could disguise his identity, which makes so much sense. And it's a wonder why they don't do that for more people whose hair is exposed in the comics. Uh, Batwoman is incredibly smart for doing this, wearing a long red wig while she has uh, very, very short hair. Um, Pretty soon after this, uh, he meets Hal Jordan, a.k.a. Green Lantern at this time. They develop a great friendship as well, just as strong as Barry and Hal had. Uh, pretty quickly after this, he teams up with Robin and Aqualad, two other sidekicks in the Justice League world, uh, to defeat the villain Mr. Twister. And they decide that they're going to make this a regular thing and call themselves the Teen Titans. Pretty soon they're joined by Wonder Girl, and later on Speedy, and they 
basically are the first class of the Teen Titans. They dealt with social problems, uh, as well as racial tensions in the big city. Uh, Vietnam was also a big deal at this time, and it was huge for comics, especially teen comics, to really address problems like this. And this made the Teen Titans book one of the most interesting and one of the most uh, well-selling books of the time. Uh, however, after a, a while, after a good career with the Titans, the team disbanded under the threat of them kind of outgrowing the term Teen Titans and starting to look at what their lives will be like going into their early adulthood. However, the team wouldn't be dormant for very long because they were brought back together by Raven to battle the villain Trigon, who was later revealed to be her father. This new Titans roster consisted of Robin, Kid Flash, Wonder Girl, Changeling, Cyborg, Starfire, and Raven. This really is... There's a famous cover of Teen Titans where you see it. Everyone knows what it is. It's got all the characters I just mentioned on the cover, and the title is The New Teen Titans. And this book, this book was DC's X-Men. This book was DC's best-selling book at the time, and it actually was so popular that they did a crossover with the X-Men. It was one of the first big Marvel-DC crossovers just because both companies were like, these are our best-selling books, and we could make a ton of money by putting them together. So they met. They had a really fun adventure. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it's fun. That's really what this era of comics was about. Uh, during this new Teen Titans era, they battled villains like Dr. Light, Deathstroke, and the aforementioned Trigon, all the way up until the Judas Contract, which was a storyline where uh, Terra, who had the power of um, terrakinesis, the ability to move Earth, was brought into the ranks, but was later kind of revealed to be a double agent working under Deathstroke. Uh, the t this book, this storyline, is like the most iconic. Uh, Teen Titans story from this era. This is the story that everyone kind of looks to and remembers, and it's been done to death in adaptations. Um, but this really was around this time where uh, Wally kind of left the team to figure out, you know, where he fit in in the larger DC universe, and this was also the debut of Nightwing. Watching Dick Grayson become Nightwing really put pressure onto Wally West to figure out, well, if he's able to, you know, figure out who he is and his role in this world, well, where, well, well, where, wow, that is hard for me. Uh, <laughs> where does that put me? Where do I fit in this world? And it didn't help that during this time, Wally also contracted this mysterious illness, which basically equates to every time he would use super speed his life force and his body would slowly deteriorate so it was a double-edged sword for him basically if he used his power his power was slowly killing him and so this forced him into an early retirement which was terrible for the character he felt awful about it and he didn't want to give up his power but if he continued to run he would be looking at an early grave rather than an early retirement. So he was retired for a short time before he began getting visions of 
Barry Allen. Now, at this point, Barry Allen had jumped into the future with Iris West and had been missing for a good long time. But he, along with Batman, were starting to get haunted visions of Barry Allen reaching out for help. During the event Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, Wally West was recruited and kind of shanghaied into uh, a battle by Jay Garrick to fight against the Anti-Monitor's forces in this big climactic battle, the final push of that large event. Uh, he learns of Barry's sacrifice during this time, how Barry sacrificed himself to destroy the, an the Anti-Monitor's antimatter cannon, and is left, it's this great image of him holding Barry's empty costume among the rubble of the antimatter cannon. Uh, during the climactic battle, he is struck by a blast of antimatter energy, which, along with um, knocking him for a loop, somehow cured him of his illness so that he could run as fast as he wanted to once again. Uh, following the events of Crisis on Infinite Earths, he decides to carry on Barry's legacy and becomes the new Flash. However, there was some initial backlash for becoming the new Flash because uh, Barry Allen's sacrifice was a well-known fact in this new DC universe following the uh, crisis. So in this new post-crisis Earth, uh, everyone kind of knows who Barry Allen is as well as that he's the Flash and that he sacrificed himself. So a lot of people had a big problem with Wally carrying on that name. Uh, this led him into a conflict with Hal Jordan, who even though he trusted Wally and he knew Wally, um, he didn't trust him to be able to take on the responsibilities that Barry had. And so there's a short time where uh, Barry, or sorry, Wally, see, I'm doing it. Uh, Wally is kind of benched by Hal Jordan because he moves into Central City. He's like, I'm the hero of Central City now. And you're going to be, you know, on the sidelines or as Kid Flash. You won't be the Flash. So there's this brief, like, I think it's like one or two issues where uh, Wally is an adult, like a fully adult Wally, like running around in his Kid Flash costume again because he's feeling like not good enough. But then they are attacked along with Jay Garrick and Wally once again dons the Flash costume to save both Hal Jordan and Jay Garrick, pretty much cementing himself as the new Flash and gaining their respect. However, what we saw as not just... Uh, curing him of his ailment this blast of antimatter energy also seemingly made wally weaker than barry uh before all of this wally was known to be able to uh, reach the same speeds as barry hitting the speed of light but now he could only hit the speed of sound and that was pushing it and he also had to consume large meals to uh satiate his metabolism so something was wrong with Wally on a um, on a physiological level, but he kind of ignored that. He was like, "I'm just going to be the best that I can be," which I think is super friggin' admirable. Admirable, and continued on as the Flash. Uh, pretty soon after this, Wally wins the lottery and buys a mansion, but soon loses it all in the stock market. Which you know, classic. You win some, you lose some. 
Following this, he moves into an apartment in Keystone City, which post-crisis is now just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Central City. So he's able to uh, patrol both because they're literally across the harbor from each other. And during this time, after his move to Keystone City, he begins to make the role his own, starting with his costume. Up until this point, he was basically just wearing Barry's old Flash costume, but slowly and steadily during this point he started to make upgrades to it including a darker red uh, getting rid of the wings on the boots that barry used to have his belt while barry's was just a kind of a straight lightning bolt some people call it like the chainsaw belt um across his waist wally's new suit kind of had more of a lightning bolt v that we're all more familiar with and instead of leaving his eyes open and bare he got some opaque white lenses so basically he went from the classic uh flash suit that we are familiar with when it comes to barry allen in the 60s and went into his uh justice league and justice league unlimited cartoon costume that is a perfect representation of what wally's costume looked like in the comics at this point it's also during his move to keystone city that he meets linda park because she is a reporter in keystone city and initially they do not get along um they are uh, basically brought into contact because uh, Linda runs in the same circles as Iris. And initially they have a really antagonistic relationship, but slowly and steadily become to, or they start to become friends and later on, as we'll see, romantic partners. But Wally's ultimate faith in himself as a superhero is tested upon the return of Barry Allen. Seemingly from the dead, Barry Allen is back and he is ready to retake the mantle of the flash casting a lot of doubt in wally and basically just nearly shattering his faith as a superhero however during this story which is one of the most important stories in all of barry's or god i did it again uh, in all of wally's career uh it's revealed that this isn't barry allen and that it is actually eobard thawne professor zoom the original reverse flash who came back early from earlier in his timeline to take the place of barry allen this is before he officially becomes the reverse flash and starts battling with barry um wally is able to defeat uh defeat eobard because he because of the discovery of Wally's psychological block. Um, we come to find out during the story that Wally psychologically uh, w didn't want to surpass Barry for fear of uh, people forgetting about him and for fear of people, um, I guess, seeing him as a better hero than Barry. He has such a respect and such a reverence for Barry Allen and the Flash mantle that he didn't want to... Uh, subconsciously didn't want to surpass Barry. And so during this story, he breaks through that block, allowing him to not just become as fast as he was, he becomes even faster than Barry Allen and starts to unlock new abilities. Um, he's able to defeat Eobard Thon, send him packing, and takes his rightful place as the one true Flash. Following this, Iris returns from the future with a new... Uh, Flash family member, that being Bart Allen. Uh, Bart, be, quid, wow, 
Where are my words today? Uh, Bart quickly becomes the young hero Impulse and is kind of uh, Wally's new kid Flash. Wally takes him under his wing and is able to teach him the ways of the Speed Force along with the ways of being a superhero. Uh, around this time, the Flash family is officially established. That includes Impulse, Jay Garrick, Wally West, Jesse Quick, Max Mercury, and Johnny Quick. Uh, this is also around the time where Wally discovers the Speed Force. Up until this point, uh, there had really never been any kind of um, official name for where uh, for the source of the Speedster's abilities. Uh, really, just kind of been this uh, abstract idea, and it doesn't get any less abstract by calling it the Speed Force, but. Um, Wally officially discovers this and starts to unlock new abilities such as being able to steal and lend speed from others. Uh, this is also during the time where he meets in battle Savitar, who is a Speed Force cultist and obsessed with unlocking the secrets of the Speed Force. And this is also when Wally first encounters the Black Flash. And the Black Flash is the Speed Force's representation of death he's basically the grim reaper for all speedsters and during this story which is another iconic wally west story uh wally outraces death and outruns death by running to the end of time the end of everything where death doesn't exist and it's such a great moment where wally is able to outthink and outrun the personification of death and if that doesn't establish him as the flash i don't know what does um also, during this time, he travels through time, meeting and fighting various Flashes from different times, such as his uh, his future descendant, John Fox, who is an evil Flash, masquerading as a hero Flash. Uh, after this, upon returning, the worst happens. His old friend, uh, Hal Jordan, loses Coast City during the events of the death of Superman and also becomes Parallax. Following this and the events of Emerald Twilight, as well as Zero Hour, Wally West meets the new Flash, the torchbearer Kyle Rayner. Uh, initially, the two of them are antagonistic because uh, Kyle is kind of new to everything and Wally doesn't see Kyle owing, kind of uh, living up to the mantle of green lantern like hal did which is ironic uh but the two of them initially initially though they are um rivals and antagonistic towards each other they eventually do become friends and they learn to respect each other over time it's a great story the two of them butting heads um them not really learning to cooperate until later when we do get the uh, friendship between the two which is kind of really present in every single uh, generation of the flash first it was jay garrick and alan scott then it was barry allen and hal jordan and now it's wally west and kyle rayner and av after the two of them are able to kind of come to terms wally gets the invitation to officially join the justice league uh, as this premier superhero he is elevated to heights that he never thought imaginable he is a member of the premier superhero team on the earth and during this time he also proposes to longtime love interest linda park however before the wedding can commence linda disappears without a trace and somehow everyone on earth including wally but excluding bart allen forgets who she 
is. Uh, this is eventually revealed to be some kind of scheme that placed Linda into a parallel dimension where Wally eventually, upon remembering her, follows her into, and they both meet Walter West, who is the Dark Flash, who is Wally from basically an alternate Earth where Linda was killed by a villain called Cobra and became a darker, basically, Flash Batman, um, where he would kill his enemies and he was constantly haunted by the failure of... Uh, Linda's death. So as we come to find out, the mastermind behind this scheme is Abracadabra, who is a futuristic villain who hates Wally West and basically was pitting both Wally and Walter West against each other in the hopes that they would destroy each other. Uh, the two flashes defeat Abracadabra and Wally and Linda return to their home dimension where they do marry. Later on after this, Linda is revealed to be pregnant with twins, and life's good. Life's good for Wally. He couldn't imagine it being any better, which means, of course, things are about to get bad. The married couple return to Keystone, where Wally, in his civilian disguise, uh, meets and befriends a recent transfer to Keystone, Hunter Zolomon. Now, Zolomon is a... He's a police detective who is, um, what, what are they called? A pathologist because his, uh, he is focused, his, um, his career focus is tracking down and getting into the minds of criminals to try to, uh, both solve and anticipate, uh, crimes from those criminals. And this stems from his past of his father being a serial killer. So this is great. Uh, however, the darkness in Hunter is offset by the hope and the light within Wally, and the two become fast friends and are able to lean on each other in hard times, even though Wally doesn't reveal to Hunter his identity as the Flash. This would come to a head during an attack by Gorilla Grodd, which left Hunter completely paralyzed from the waist down, and... Following this, he tries to convince Wally to get him in contact with the Flash, and upon getting in contact with the Flash, he tries to convince him to use the Cosmic Treadmill to go back in time and stop Hunter from being paralyzed. Uh, knowing the dangers of traveling through time and changing the past, uh, the Flash refuses, causing, the, causing Hunter to try and use the Cosmic Treadmill on his own, which of course explodes in his face, and basically um, detaches him from the flow of time. So he is essentially left with this, um, this ability to travel through time. It's a form of super, of super speed where he is actually traveling through the time stream instead of traveling through uh, known space. So he is offset from all the other speedsters while still being somewhat connected to the speed force. Uh, Hunter becomes the new Zoom and sees that in his mind that the Flash wouldn't help him and Wally wouldn't help him because Wally, unlike Barry Allen, uh, hasn't suffered a tragic event in his past to make him a better hero. So he embarks on a journey and a mission to make Wally go through a tragic event so that he can become a better hero. And this brings us to the saga that is kicked off with the story Blitz. 
Uh, Hunter is determined to bring tragedy to, to Wally's life in any way he can, which includes attacking Linda Park. Uh, during their battle to protect Linda, uh, Zoom causes this big old electrical shock wave, which does end up hitting Linda and causes her to miscarry. In his anger, Wally forces Zoom into a temporal coma, um, which is one of the darkest things that he's ever done. He basically traps Zoom in the perpetually in this um, in this ever repeating uh, scene where he is forced to watch his father murder his mother over and over and over again, and so he is stuck in this basically in this uh, temporal coma until he is freed by Cheetah, who is a Wonder Woman villain, and is recruited to join the Society, a secret society of supervillains that Lex Luthor, or a Lex Luthor, is setting up in the run-up to Infinite Crisis. However, just before Infinite Crisis happens, Rogue War breaks out. So Rogue War is this amazing storyline where... Uh, Three factions are battling for control of Central City. Captain Cold leads the original rogues against the top, who has brainwashed a good number of rogues, and they are battling while at the same time the reformed trickster and his reformed gang of rogues, who are trying to do what's good for Central City, are also caught in the middle. So it's three different factions of rogues going to war, and the city is caught in the middle. During this time, Zoom, who once again was freed by Cheetah to join the society, infiltrates this rogue war and continues to heighten the hostilities between the three factions, making it even worse. And at the height of rogue war, Zoom battles with Wally, as well as Bart, who has now taken on the mantle of Kid Flash, and everything seems to be going out of control when suddenly... Eobard Thawne arrives on the cosmic treadmill with Jay Garrick chained to the front of it. So now we have a battle from three flashes, that being uh, Jay, Wally, and Bart, against two different zooms. And of course, because of Eobard's uh, tactical genius as well as Zoom's ability to displace himself through time, uh, the two quickly gain the upper hand. However, all is not lost because Barry Allen arrives from earlier in his timeline, the time, the point in the timeline where this Eobard comes from, and is able to defeat and pull Eobard back to their timeline, allowing for the three remaining flashes to overwhelm Zoom. However, Zoom is intent on ruining Wally's life, just like in his mind Wally ruined his, so he runs around the Earth to build enough speed so that he can basically impact with Linda and kill her once and for all. Uh, Wally pushes himself to the brink of exhaustion, tapping into a deeper level of the speed force than he had ever reached before to catch up to Zoom, and it causes a fissure in time, which Wally does not hesitate to push Zoom through, which basically pops them right into their first initial battle right as zoom makes the electrical shock wave in an attempt to injure uh, linda our zoom the present day zoom is chucked after being pushed into this moment in time right in between the shock wave and linda taking the brunt of the shock wave 
This retcons in continuity now. This retcons that Linda did not have this miscarriage. And as Wally pulls Zoom back into the present, uh, he is surprised and shocked to learn that Linda is now pregnant once again. Zoom, upon being defeated, realizes that this is a lot more complicated than he thought of a pure uh, drive to make Wally a better hero and escapes into the Speed Force just as Linda goes into labor. Labor. Labor and gives birth to twins who they name Iris and Jay. However, everything would not be good for very long because soon after this, after the birth of their twins, identity crisis happens. Uh, Identity Crisis kicks off with the murder of Sue Dibney, Ralph Dibney, the elongated man's wife, and one of the greatest comic book couples of all time. Um, And pretty soon during this event, all of the superheroes are attacked in their civilian identities, and the people who they love and are connected to are put in danger. During this event, Kyle and Wally learn of Dr. Light's mind wipe, which we find out was due to Dr. Light um, infiltrating and uh, sexually assaulting Sue while on the uh, Justice League Watchtower, which forced the entire Justice League to mind wipe him. This was was during a time when Hal Jordan and Barry were still uh, part of the Justice League, and Kyle and Wally... Do not like this because this whole mind wipe of Dr. Light turning him from this vicious villain who Wally remembers battling in his time as a Teen Titan and now turning him into kind of a goof, which he became during the new Teen Titans run, uh, explains a lot. And it really uh, colors their their viewpoint on the Justice League as a whole. Uh, During this event, uh, Wally returns to his teammates uh, with the former titans and defeats dr light however this event does force wally to rethink the superhero life and he takes a sabbatical with linda to help um raise his kids because he has been kind of jaded now from this experience unfortunately wally doesn't get to enjoy this time off because pretty soon after this infinite crisis happens and during the events of infinite crisis wally is drafted once again into battle against superboy prime with the other speedsters while trying to imprison superboy prime within the speed force wally is also swept up into it he is able to make one last uh ditch effort to reach linda and the kids to let her know that he will be trapped in the speed force and that he's sorry but linda because she is she kicks so much ass, says that if he's going, they're going too, and basically joins Wally with the twins, and all of them go into the Speed Force. So the aftermath of this is that Bart, who was uh, aged up during this event, becomes the new Flash in Wally's absence, and Wally and Linda and the kids essentially live in peace inside of the Speed Force during this time. So this brings us to the Lightning Saga, where after time has passed, Bart has established himself as the Flash, uh, the Legion of Superheroes appear in present day. We don't know exactly what their goal is. However, the Legion, different uh, 
teams inside the Legion uh, converge on three different locations. Barry's old lab, the mansion where Barry initially appeared to Batman during the original Crisis on Infinite Earths, as well as Titan's Tower. And they are armed with these lightning rods. The Legion is able to conduct some kind of experiment where this mysterious lightning is called down into the lightning rods. And at the exact same moment, simultaneously, Wally, Linda, and the kids reappear in a crater with the kids having aged up into um, full-blown kids instead of being babies. However, this uh, was a side effect because, as I said, simultaneously, as Wally, Linda, and the kids reappear from out of the Speed Force, Bart loses his connection to the Speed Force during a battle with the rogues and is killed. Um, this, as it turns out, was a big old story, uh, a long-reaching story, but at the time was huge. They had never, like, outright killed a Flash before, like in Cold Blood, which is what happened in the story. Um, Bart is given a big funeral. Uh, Wally finds out what happened, and he seeks revenge. And this is pretty much his first outing back as the Flash. And so he goes after all the rogues who reveal that they were manipulated. They didn't think they were going to kill the Flash. They just thought they were going to incapacitate him, and they were all duped by Inertia, who, in essence... We don't have a lot of time to talk about him, but he was basically um, Bart's evil clone and was his reverse flash when Bart was Impulse. So Inertia had gone through and uh, manipulated the rogues into killing uh, into killing Bart. And so Wally goes after Inertia and in one of the darkest and, um, in my view, one of the most brutal uh actions that Wally has ever taken he saps every single bit out of every single bit of speed out of Inertia's body so that he is made into a living statue and Wally places him in the Flash Museum directly across from the Bart Allen exhibit so for eternity Inertia is faced to or Inertia is forced to look and observe the man he could never be it is incredible it's so 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 cool um after this he's invited to to join the reform justice league and he accepts pretty soon after this <laughs> this is a lot this is a lot we are halfway through here um pretty soon after this uh he and jay garrick uh are investigating investigating the murder of orion uh because or due to a time bullet this impossible bullet that seems to have traveled through time and killed the new god uh the two speedsters determine that the mobius chair is a portal through time and it and allowed the uh the magic bullet to travel from whatever time period it came from to strike orion however when they try to access the mobius chair a portal opens and shows barry allen back again chasing said magic bullet while both he and the bullet are pursued by the black racer um over the course of this final crisis happens where wally and barry both travel to the future in pursuit of the bullet even though they are unfortunately unable to uh, stop it from killing Orion. 
and they are pursued relentlessly by the Black Racer. They lead it back to the present day, um, where they are able to phase through during the final battle, phase through Darkseid, and the Black Racer impacts Darkseid, severely weakening him and allowing Superman to ultimately defeat him and Batman to basically kill him. So Darkseid's defeated, uh, Barry is back alive once again, and he decides to stay. And during the events of Final Crisis, Bart was revealed to be resurrected by the Legion, and it was revealed that the Lightning Saga, the um, initial uh, goal for the Lightning Saga, doing the Lightning Rods, was to capture the pure essence of Bart Allen because they knew that they would need him in the future. This Bart Allen, after being resurrected, is aged back down to his Kid Flash age. And so now we have a new Flash family. So everybody's together. However, all is not as it seems because Barry turns quickly into the new Black Flash and begins unintentionally killing off other speedsters around them. While he chases Barry into the speed force because Barry doesn't want to uh, kill anyone else and discovers inside the speed force that, of course, Eobard Thawne is the true villain of the story. Thawne traps uh, the two of them inside the Speed Force. However, they are able to break out, both Wally and Barry, along with Max Mercury, who is a speedster from way in the past and also Bart Allen's mentor. Uh, Wally helps Barry to defeat Thawne and establishes the new Flash family, which includes Barry and Wally each as a Flash, as well as giving Wally a super cool makeover, uh, basically turning him into... I guess you could say the original uh, John Wesley ship flash costume with the actual like a uh, Batman style cowl covering the nose. Um, it includes Jay Garrick also as the flash. So we have three flashes. Iris, uh, Wally's daughter becomes the new impulse. Uh, Bart returns as kid flash and we have Jesse quick taking up the mantle of her father, Johnny quick, as well as Max Mercury. This is the established Flash family that goes into the Blackest Night event, where Wally works with Barry and Bart to combat the Black Lanterns. And during this time, Wally really establishes himself alongside Barry as the Flash. Unfortunately, everything changes following this, because after the events of um, Flash Rebirth, after the events of uh, Blackest Night, and at after the events of the lead-in, the road to Flashpoint, Flashpoint happens. Uh, and this new Flashpoint rebooted uh, reality after Barry Allen went back to save his mom and caused a ripple effect, changing everything. In this new reality, Wally West never met Barry because there was no Flash in this reality, and was instead the cameraman and assistant to his Aunt Iris. Uh, the two exposed the premier superhero in Central City Citizen citizen cold as a villain and wally is unfortunately killed by citizen cold uh following this there's a lot of conjecture and we're going to talk about it um there's basically two schools of thought so wally is from here on it gets really complicated i'm just going to let you know like everything up to this point yeah it's been it's been dicey at times but it's been pretty straightforward this is where it gets really complicated so there are basically two schools of thought following flashpoint because after flashpoint we got the new 52 where wally was seemingly not in existence there was a new wally who was african american uh he was 
initially i think intended to be this new updated original version of wally but later on it was established that the two of them are separate just both named after their grandfather um but basically following this there's two schools of thought post flashpoint and pre flashpoint because the wally that appears in dc rebirth and we will be talking about the events of that um reappears as kid flash reappears as the wally west that we all know and it is I would say understood, if not explicitly stated, that he is supposed to be the uh, pre-Flashpoint version of the character. So he remembers the world before Flashpoint happened. And so I've heard different theories on exactly how this affects Wally. So we're going to talk about both of them. So uh, there's both a post-Flashpoint and a free pre-Flashpoint version of these characters. So in the post-Flashpoint, I'm going to give you... Um, Basically, the uh, bullet points of that post-Flashpoint means that Wally was affected by the reboot of Flashpoint. So in this post-Flashpoint theory, which does have evidence to it, um, Wally is affected by the rebooted timeline. He's a member of the Teen Titans, and during a battle with Abracadabra, he is trapped in the Speed Force by Kadabra in the same way that Linda was back when he was the Flash. And... in so doing, Kadabra wipes the memories of Wally from existence. Period. Done. That leads him up into, um, into DC Rebirth. Also, though, there is the pre-Flashpoint uh, school of thought where Wally was unaffected by the reboot, whether he was in the Speed Force at the time of Flashpoint or whatever, um, or, I guess, unaffected by the reboot, that being... Um, he was during. He was in the Speed Force during uh, the events of Flashpoint, the birth of the New Fifty Two. But he was trapped within the Speed Force by Doctor Manhattan. Left the Speed Force during the events of um, of what's it called of DC Rebirth. And because of him leaving the Speed Force, the world moved and retconned a past for him to fit him into the timeline without causing paradoxes or fissures in the timeline. Uh, this specifically has um, has credence from Doomsday Clock. This was referenced because there is uh, a scene where Wally is escaping from the Speed Force and Dr. Manhattan basically casts him back into it. Uh, but my theory specifically is kind of a... Uh, kind of a blend of both i kind of sit in the middle on these so i'm gonna let you know what my personal viewpoint of this you can make your own uh decision on what you believe to be true but my uh my personal view on it is that post flash or post flashpoint and pre-flashpoint wally are the same wally so my view, so check this out, this is going to be a little high concept, uh, we're going on a tangent here, uh, is that post-Flashpoint is the same as pre-Flashpoint. So Flashpoint changed almost nothing besides just blending all of the uh, the three timelines, the, um, the tangent, uh, vertigo and no it was the uh, the milestone dc and vertigo titles together merging them all into the same world on the same timeline but my viewpoint is that even though we got the new 52 the new 52 hadn't happened yet post flashpoint so all that did was bond all three of those realities together otherwise the world was the exact same it might have put more lines on people's costumes but that's it 
during this, during this point, he's trapped in the Speed Force by Kadabra. He's a member of the Teen Titans. He's trapped in the Speed Force by Kadabra and watches inside the Speed Force as Manhattan steals 10 years from the timeline, retconning the entire DC universe and creating the New 52. So... Like I said, it's kind of a blend of both. Uh, so he's unaffected by Manhattan's reek retcon, almost escapes the speed force to tell Manhattan, I know what you did, I saw what you did, and Manhattan traps him again, forcing him to uh, be trapped in the speed force once again until the events of DC Rebirth. So like I said, my viewpoint, it's complicated, but it fits in both. So basically, uh, we don't know what post-Flashpoint DC Universe looked like before uh, Dr. Manhattan stole those 10 years and essentially created the New 52. Like I said, it's complicated, and again, I'm sorry, but that's like the easiest way I can explain it. So this brings us to, we're going to skip the New 52 because he doesn't appear there, but we are going to bring him to Rebirth. So... DC Rebirth number one, this is a huge thing where uh, Wally returns. He's able to escape the Speed Force, but he can't find a lightning rod. Because of Dr. Manhattan's influence, no one remembers him, least of all Linda Park. They never had a relationship, their kids never happened. And Wally returns to Barry as this ethereal being who's wasting away and becoming one with the Speed Force because he doesn't have a lightning rod. Barry is able to remember him. I remember reading this issue at midnight after... A like a late night midnight release from uh, Heroes and Villains back in Tucson. Shout out to them and Malcolm and everybody over there. Um, and I remember crying. I remember crying. Don't shame me. That's just what happened. I feel a lot of feelings when I read comics. Um, but Wally is able to return thanks to Barry remembering him, and Wally is able to warn Barry of Manhattan's influence on the timeline. Following this, uh, Barry kind of advises Wally like, hey. You're an adult. You were the Flash. Like, you don't need to wear this kid Flash getup anymore. A lot of people have said, like, kind of leaning towards the idea that he is a uh, post-Flashpoint version of the character, just somehow with pre-Flashpoint uh, Wally's memories, that they point to him wearing the kid Flash uh, costume. But for me, I kind of see it as, like, that's the essence of Wally West. The essence of Wally West is how we all kind of, like, how he remembers himself and how the speed force really connected with him which was as kid flash anyway so he um uses the speed force to fashion himself a new costume which is my favorite wally west costume it's uh geek explained approved and he rejoins his members or his friends in the titans after reminding them using the speed force who he was uh however he's haunted by his pre-retcon memories uh finding once again that linda doesn't recognize him they never had a relationship they never married they never met they never had kids um he also finds out about the uh the scheme by Cadaver to throw him into the Speed Force to get everyone to forget about him. He defeats him and during this time also meets the new 52 Wallace, aka Kid Flash. The two develop a bond and kind of have a younger brother, older brother uh, situation just like Wally used to have with Barry. Uh, following this, Deathstroke traps both Wally and Wallace to use the Speed Force to try and go back in time and save his son, the original Ravager. Uh, during this time, they they, along with the Titans and the Teen Titans, are pulled into the past. During that first uh, Deathstroke uh, story, 
and to try and sever the connection to the speed force that Wally has. Damien, because he's a friggin' idiot, um, stops past Wally's heart, causing him, when they return to the present, to have heart trouble. During this, though, he it, because of his heart trouble, he has to have a pacemaker, and every time that he, I guess, speeds up too much, or his pacemaker kind of like goes off the fritz, Wally stops time. So it gave him this weird time-stopping ability, but also his mysterious illness from way back returns. So every time he uses his speed, he is... Uh, draining his life force and he's dying so during this run with the titans he battles against simon mr twister and others and during a battle against mr twister he seemingly dies from using his speed too much however he's revived by wallace curing him of both his heart condition as well as the mysterious illness it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but uh following this he helps the titans defeat a future version of donna troy who I guess kind of prophesizes the collapse of the Titans as a group, which I guess does come to pass. So, ah, uh, um, following this, uh, there's a real big focus on Wally and his kind of, uh, his viewpoints, his feelings. He feels lost. He feels alone. He doesn't know where he fits in this world because he still remembers the world before it was edited. Uh, he does help the, uh, new, the new Rebirth Flash family to defeat uh, Gorilla Grodd, and following this, finally reintroduces himself to Iris, who now remembers him. However, of course, when things go good, they have to go wrong for Wally West, because following this, he is manipulated by a returning Hunter Zolomon, who also remembers everything for some reason, into the Flash War storyline, uh, where he battles with... Uh, battles with Barry. So during this flash war, it's, you know, kind of brought up again that he's haunted by his pre-retcon memories, and he's convinced by Hunter Zolomon that his kids, as well as lost allies like Max Mercury, Johnny Quick, are trapped in the Speed Force like he was. And to free them, he has to break the Speed Force. And so Wally wants to be able to feel like he isn't alone, he wants to be able to feel like he belongs again, and that involves getting his kids back. So he tries to break the Speed Force to free his kids, as well as Max Mercury and Impulse, uh, who also hasn't been seen since the New 52 uh, however, he has to battle Barry, who is trying to convince Wally that everything can be okay with how it is. And unfortunately, Wally defeats Barry, outraces him, and succeeds in breaking the Force Barrier. This is, it's at this point that Zolomon, who has donned Barry's original Flash costume, uh, reveals his deception in that his goal was to unleash other forces into the Earth, like the Speed Force, such as the Sage Force, uh, the So Force, stuff like that. And after b basically like twirling his non-existent mustache, Zolomon's like, ha ha, I'm the real Flash, you all suck, and hey, Wally, great job, you know, breaking the Speed Force and being a failure once again. He escapes into the timeline, leaving Wally broken by the actions he's taken. Uh, following this, he decides to go to Sanctuary, uh, to work through his trauma because he is unable to move past it. And this is when we come to his final crisis. Uh, Wally begins his treatment at Sanctuary, which is a an establishment uh, basically set up by Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman to help both heroes and villains anonymous, 
anonymously work through their emotional pain and their trauma. Wally uh, is unable to move the past. He's unable to move past the loss of his kids as well as the loss of his former life. Um, and each session, while it's meant to help him um, process his loss and process his trauma just makes him feel more and more alone especially because with the anonymous nature of the facility he isn't able to commiserate with anyone so feeling that loneliness he hacks into the sanctuary's confessionals which is the database where all of the heroes and villains that are at sanctuary basically talk about their talk about the problems talk about the feelings and in viewing all of these uh confessionals at a super speed uh pace he finds out that he's not alone but uh because of the sheer amount of information that he uh experiences in a short amount of time because of this because of his speed he has a panic attack and he lose loses control of his uh connection to the speed force and the speed force lashes out and he unintentionally causes a massacre of all the other patients at sanctuary um not kind of in a panic not knowing what to do he uses his powers to trick the only two survivors which were booster gold and harley quinn into blaming each other and he then takes booster gold's tech and travels five days into the future where he kills his future self and brings his body back to the present to place among the victims so that he can have time to figure out what to do next. He spends the next five days piecing the confessionals together and releasing them to the public anonymously as the puddler. And basically, we come to find out that he does this in an attempt to let those let those in the superhero community who are suffering to know what he found out, that they're not alone and that there is a place for them to go, even though he kind of um, is the poster child for them not going there now. It's it's a complicated story. Um, we did an episode on it. You should check it out. Um, he arrives back at Sanctuary at the conclusion of the five days and revives Poison Ivy and then waits and at that moment, his past self arrives from five days beforehand to do what he had done, and he welcomes it. He's ready to die to complete the loop uh, so that he can complete his mission. However, they are confronted by Booster Gold, Harley Quinn, Ted Cord, and Batgirl. Uh, Booster Gold and Blue Beetle decide to basically cheat to allow them to complete the time loop without breaking time but also to allow wally to get closure because it was an accident sure the events following the accident weren't great but it was ultimately an accident brought on by wally's trauma so they go to the future boozer's future they speed clone the present day wally to give basically a dead a dead body to the past wally to take back into the past so that they can complete the loop and then the Justice League arrives and they arrest Wally West for his, uh, basically for his crimes, which Wally goes in willingly. It's the ultimate fall of Wally West. Um, and that it's a hard story to get through. Like I said, we did an episode on it. I love that episode and you should definitely check it out. So this brings us to Wally 
right now, where he's at uh, with the events of Flash Forward. So some time passes, Wally is in a Justice League prison, um, but he is recruited by Tempest Fuginot, who is essentially the Watcher for the DC Universe and kind of um, guards over the barrier between the multiverse and the dark multiverse. So he's recruited by Tempest Fuginot to heal the dark multiverse and basically heal the dark matter uh, in the multiverse proper so that the dark multiverse doesn't eventually end up enveloping the uh, light multiverse. So basically Wally is sent through a pretty much just a a grand tour of different worlds in the multiverse. First he travels to Earth-23, which has the awesome uh, Calvin, I can't remember his last name, Superman, where basically Superman is Barack Obama and President. Um, so he helps purge Dark Matter from there with the help of a staff that he was given by Tempest Fuginot that is able to um, dissipate Dark Matter. Uh, then he travels to an alternate he travels to another Earth where he fights alongside an alternate vampire hunter, Roy Harper, which is really cool. And he finally gets closure with Roy because Roy was one of the people at Sanctuary that he unintentionally killed. Uh, then he travels to Earth-32 and fights alongside Linda Park, who is a speedster on this Earth. The two of them, you know, share a quick romantic thing, and then he realizes he has to move on and arrives to the final Dark Multiverse world where he is reunited with his kids. It's revealed that ever since the events of Dr. Manhattan's um, retcon, that the kids were essentially moved to this uh, Dark Multiverse Earth, which Dark Multiverse basic concept is that every Dark Multiverse Earth is generated from the, f from the fear or the um, uh, wrong decision of a Earth from the multiverse proper. So Dark Multiverse is like, what if uh, Asriel won against Batman when Batman tried to come back? What if uh, Lois Lane went evil after the death of Superman and used the Eradicator to gain his powers? Like, these are all, like, bad worst-case decision, uh, worst-case scenario worlds. And this world, we come to find out, was built and created by the fear of Wally losing his kids. So this world was created by Wally. And because of that... Even though dark multiverse worlds aren't meant to last, they're meant to go through their timeline and then shatter and fall into the void. This world, because it was built from Wally, is able to repair itself just as quickly as Wally's metabolism would. And so Wally has to make the decision to destroy this world while also giving up his kids. That's basically the only choice. Um, while he spends one last day with his kids, just enjoying them, and then um, is given his mission by Tempest to destroy the world by sitting on the Mobius chair, which the last time we saw the Mobius chair was during um, Dark Side War, where we got the, I would say, the first big tease of Dr. Manhattan coming into uh, the DC Universe. So before he sits on the Mobius chair to destroy this... Uh, world and basically strengthen the border between the multiverse and the dark multiverse, he makes Tempest Fuginot promise to bring the kids back home. So, and this is a great moment where Tempest is like, I mean, if it's in my power, and Wally's like, I'm not asking. You're doing this. You're, you're saving my kids. And so the kids are, you know, Tempest promises. Wally sits on the chair, joining with it and being imbued by its power, 
the world that they are on is destroyed as Wally is permanently bonded, or as far as we know, permanently bonded to the chair. Uh, Tempest brings the kids back to Prime Earth, Earth Zero, and reunites them with Linda, who is um, re, I guess, retconned, or basically given the memories of her kids. And so the family's reunited, but without Wally. It's tragic as hell. I love it and I hate it at the same time. Um, following this, uh, Wally is now godlike. And as it's revealed, he now carries the exact same Dr. Manhattan uh, symbol on his forehead. And he's been imbued with godlike power. And he zooms off into the multiverse to do something. We're not sure of what. Um, and that pretty much brings us up to where we are. Uh, Wally is now imbued with Dr. Manhattan's powers, uh, along with the Mobius chair, which grants him knowledge of everything. Uh, as he zooms off, he does mention that he senses a kindred spirit, which may be referring to the new Flash villain Paradox, um, who seems to have Dr. Manhattan-like powers. He was introduced in the most recent uh, issue of The Flash. And it says that the next stop is Flash number 750, which releases in one week? Two weeks? Anyway, so um, yeah, that's where he is. Um, next stop after Flash 750, which I'm assuming is going to propel us forward and kind of give us a trajectory for Wally to go. Uh, it's going to be the Generation Zero and Flash Forward epilogue that will be in the uh, Generation Zero issue of uh, Free Comic Book Day. And then finally, following that, because the teaser that we got for Generation Zero shows Wally at the center of what looks like five different generations, uh, 5G is coming. We don't know exactly what it is. We have a pretty good idea, but there's still a lot of mystery surrounding 5G, and we'll, I'm sure we'll be getting more um, info on it, both with uh, WonderCon coming up as well as uh, Free Comic Book Day, uh, first weekend of May. So that's Wally West. That's where Wally West is at. Um, he is going to be at the heart of this reboot, apparently, possibly using his powers to cause this reboot. Uh, Wally West, again, is one of my favorite characters, and he is just incredible, just as a character. And you should absolutely pick up some of his adventures, which leads us right into recommended reading. Um, first off, uh, Flash by Mark Wade. I think you should definitely check out. You should check out the entire run of Flash by Mark Wade. I believe they have it collected, but specifically four different um, four different uh, arcs that you should definitely check out. Uh, Born to Run. It's basically his origin story. Dark Flash Saga, which involves Walter West. It's wonderful. Terminal Velocity, which involves um, the Speed Force, and then the Return of Barry Allen. The Return of Barry Allen is the the essential iconic wally west story it just is it's about him really stepping into the role it's you know we talked about it in his history it's amazing uh, also flashed by jeff johns who basically took up the reins after mark wade specifically three arcs run riot which leads directly into blitz and then finally rogue war that chronicles wally as you know that premier flash superhero um talks about zoom talks about uh linda park his you know, burgeoning relationship with her, and it's just, it's a great run. I would also check out JLA by Grant Morrison. This is uh, Wally and Kyle, you know, developing a friendship. Uh, it's the, I would I would say arguably, the best 
Justice League run of all time when it comes to the comics. It's fantastic. Grant Morrison's run on the book is great and absolutely deserves your time. Um, I would also say uh, DC Rebirth number one is fantastic. It's a great one-shot issue that reintroduces Wally into the post-New uh, 52 universe and kicks off the Rebirth era. Oh, the Rebirth era. Such promise, such missed opportunity. Um, I would also check out Flash War. This is during uh, DC Rebirth. This, these next three are basically like a trilogy of the rise and fall of Wally West. Um, Flash War, Heroes in Crisis, and Flash Forward. Um, just a trilogy of great Wally West stories. Um, Heroes in Crisis is very complicated, and I have a lot of complicated feelings about them. Once again, you can... Check out all of my complicated feelings about them, about that book, in our episode that we did focus on that. And Flash Forward, like I said, was the most recent uh, miniseries that we did for him, that we did, that DC Comics did for him. And it's a great, great story and an awesome representation of Wally West as a character. So that is it. That is Wally West. He is um, incredible. He is um, one of the only characters to be a true legacy character that really became a premier version of that character in his own right um also you can check out uh wally west on the justice league and justice league unlimited cartoon that's one of the best interpretations of that character and was heavily influenced by the J jla run by grant morrison but overall wally west he's a husband He's a father, he's a superhero, and he is and will always be The Flash. now time for the weekly review this is the segment of our show where i review something weekly and we have made it we are at the uh at the penultimate episode of this newest season of doctor who uh specifically we'll be reviewing episode nine this week ascension of the cybermen um and it's been a ride man it really has this whole season i think uh inarguably has been better than last season last season introduced a lot of new concepts which i think weren't fleshed out as well as they wanted uh this season has really put a stamp on um on the show both blending new elements as well as past elements and i think that's been for the better personally just me uh but i really really enjoyed this week's episode but it leaves me with a lot of questions which i guess is good because we're heading into the uh, final episode this coming sunday so i'm excited about it let's talk about this episode so first off uh the episode has a really odd opening and um as we come to find out and it goes through the episode we get the story of brendan who is a young irish lad who is found on the road and seemingly cannot die um i have written in my notes here irish superman question mark because like he literally is found on the side of the road by this couple who can't have kids and they like go and they do uh he has this um innate ability to want to uh, do good so he becomes a police officer he gets shot and thrown off a cliff but he survives somehow and then he's an old man and he's you know being 
used or imprisoned or something. I have no idea what's going on, and I'm probably going to be saying a lot in this review for this. Um, but catching up with our TARDIS team, uh, to juxtapose being in the past last episode, they are here in the far future, in the aftermath of the Cyber Wars. So we don't get to see any Cyber Wars goodness, but we do get to see the broken worlds left behind by it. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why I have this written down. I don't. Uh, Cybermen are allergic to gold. I've never heard that before, but um, if someone is more knowledgeable in Doctor Who, please let me know that because I've never—that's the first I've ever heard of it. Um, but I thought that was really interesting. Uh, another really interesting that I thought, which also had a lot of context, was cyber drones, specifically their use of doing drone strikes on refugees, and that's pretty much. I mean, that's pretty much been what. Doctor Who has been in the Whitaker era being very uh, socially um, cognizant of stuff, bringing in real world um, concepts and ideas that uh, I think enhance the stories that they are being told in. Uh, having these refugees I thought was really interesting, kind of being the... Um, being the last human survivors of the Cyber Wars I think is really interesting. Um during this whole drone strike also the cyber drones i think are really cool and it gives me uh in my head canon i've decided that uh handles from uh the 11th doctor's final story was a cyber drone that's just me i'm just going to say that's what it is now but i like the idea of cyber drones it it, along with everything else that's happened in, in this episode and last week's episode, has really given new layers to the Cybermen, and I really, really dig that. Um, during this drone strike, Ryan is separated uh, from Yaz and Graham. Yaz and Graham go with the refu refugees in their ship while Ryan is with the Doctor. Uh, this also brings us back to the lone Cyberman. Initially, I thought that maybe Brendan is going to be revealed as the Cyberman, but we don't get any, um, any conclusion, really, with Brendan's story, which I'm sure they're saving for next week's episode. Um, but then I also remembered that this... The Lone Cyberman's original name was Ashad, which is not Brendan. So um, the Brendan mystery continues. But I really dug what the Lone Cyberman was doing. Um, it was really interesting. So um, specifically talking to him, where I have them separated now in my notes as Team Yazham, which is uh, Yaz and Graham with the refugees. Uh, they are trying to escape, and they happen upon this uh, old Cyberman warship, basically, in the aftermath of this big space battle, giving me serious Dead Space and Alien vibes. I really like that. I really wish they would do that more often with Doctor Who. Um, so they go to the cybership, and they find that uh, the entire ship is stocked up with Cybermen. Uh, specifically these new Cybermen designs that are entitled that are called like warrior class and it seems to bridge like three different versions of the Cybermen from throughout the Doctor Who history into this one it looked really cool my mind was exploding looking at them I was like wait but that's the head from this version and that's the body from this version and that's the arms from this version it almost felt uh, very Metabots, if anyone remembers what Metabots is. Uh, I love, love, love this. Uh, Lone Cyberman eventually um, catches up to them. 
and starts awakening all of these Cybermen. It also seems to be like torturing them, which I thought was really interesting, whether that's like an overriding them because they're all part of one big old uh, cyber mind, cyber hive mind. Um, really, really interesting. Lots of layers of the lone Cybermen, and I'm hoping that we get more of him past this season because he's super interesting. And there's a lot, I think, that's un, uh, undiscovered and yet to be discovered. Now with Team Doc Ryan, Team Doctor and Ryan, obviously, uh, they are brought along with one of the refugees to find Kosharmus, which we find out is not a place but a man, a man who is uh, supposed to be essentially guarding what's called the Boundary. And the Boundary is this portal that essentially scatters you to... Uh, you go through it, you pop up at a different end of the galaxy, they're basically using it as an escape from the Cybermen. And so they go there, they talk to him, he's been there for a very long time, and he talks about um, the boundary. The boundary opens up and reveals Gallifrey. But not, you know, Gallifrey at its height, it's Gallifrey, the ruined Gallifrey that uh, we saw from the first... Uh, from Spyfall, from the conclusion of Spyfall. And who would jump out of this boundary? The Master. Master's back, really excited about it. Um, again, uh, we've talked before in previous weekly reviews that I really dug um, what the Master did in his initial uh, Spyfall episode, but that I was hoping that they would bring more layers to him because he felt very one-dimensional. And it feels like here he's much more spyfall part one than spyfall part two so i'm really really looking forward to seeing what they're doing they're teasing that um nothing is going to be the same that there is a secret uh this was also around this point in the episode where they showed all the brendan stuff brendan has now suddenly been aged up to an old man but his dad and his police chief are the same age i don't know what's going on with brendan i don't know what's going on with gallifrey i don't know what's going on with these cybermen and i don't know what's going on with the timeless child so there are a lot of questions questions that need to be answered next week and i'm really hoping they stick the landing even if they don't answer all of the questions as long as they answer some of the questions or give us a satisfactory um just give us a satisfactory like hey we'll get there i think it's absolutely worth the time to really truly uh make something and put their stamp on the doctor who mythos overall love this episode i'm really excited it's a great part one to lead into part two and i am really looking forward to part two uh there's a lot of stuff we're seeing like cyberman battles we're seeing some kind of weird um ritual between the doctor and the master we're gonna get some revelations which i'm really excited about hopefully finally um, exploring and answering and following up on that thread that everything you know is a lie. So I'm excited about it. Really looking forward to next week. However, as we head into next week, that means once again, we are at the end of this current run of the weekly review. So we have a new, uh, we have to find a new, um, what's it called? A new topic for the weekly review. I have my ideas. Feel free to shoot over your ideas, which you'd like me to review. And uh, I will make the announcement on what we will be reviewing next week. So really looking forward to that. Looking forward to this episode. I don't think I have been this anticipated for a Doctor Who episode in years. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do next week. 
or I guess this week, this Sunday. So look forward uh, next week's episode for that. But for now, let's head on over to this week's Comics Countdown. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. We'll be talking about each book's title and creative team, as well as a brief synopsis of each book. And of course, each synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. If you have a synopsis voice you'd like me to try out for this segment, feel free to request that at Pod on Twitter and Instagram or through email because I'm an old man I still read emails to geeksplain at gmail.com but before we get to the books this week we got to take a look back at last week with the geeksplain pick of the week of last week and no contest no discussion it was Superman smashes the clan number three of three written by Gene Lun Yang with Arbe Gurihiru I cried in this book (laughs) guys I really really did it's so good Superman smashes the clan is one of the greatest superman stories in the last 10 years possibly of all time i love it so much it's such a great book talking about not just the overt you know racism and superman smashing the clan the ku klux klan and you know all of this um uh, nationalism masquerading as patriotism it's also a story about feeling different And it's not just from the view of race. It's also Superman's view of feeling different. Like, it's a great, great story. I can't tell you enough about it. I'm not going to spoil anything for you because I need you to read this book. It's so good. It's now, it's definitely one of my top five favorite superhero stories of all time. Uh, One of my top five favorite Superman stories of all time. It's so good. Do yourself a favor. Pick this up. Pick up the whole run. If you want to wait until it's all collected in one, do that as well. I'll probably do that even though i have all three issues read this book read it so much read it twice but that's last week (laughs) let's talk about this week's books this week we have seven books for you right here wait one two three four yeah so seven books and uh let's kick it off with falcon and the winter soldier number one of five written by derek landy with art by frederico vincentini probably said that wrong I apologize. But uh, this is the book to get if you're excited for the Falcon and Winter Soldier uh, TV show. It's going to be popping up in August. I'm sure that this book is, you know, going to be totally unrelated. And there's no reason for this book to be up there. But the book, if I'm counting this out right, so February, first issue, March, second issue, April, third issue, May, uh, fourth issue, June fifth issue so it's going to wrap up right around when the uh, show comes on hopefully in august Um, so if you like these characters i love these characters and you want to kind of get a sense of the adventures that they can go on in the lead up to uh, the show on disney plus definitely pick this up so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here An office of dead government agents. A gifted new killer. Two ex-Captain Americas. When a dramatic attempt on the life of Bucky Barnes reunites him with Sam Wilson, the two old friends are plunged headlong into a race to uncover the new leader of Hydra before a mass casualty event announces the terror group's resurgence to the world. The clock is ticking. So, yeah. Sounds exciting. It's, you know, classic... 
uh, Winter Soldier, Falcon, Adventure, definitely pick it up. Next up, we have Year of the Villain, Hell Arisen, number three of four, written by James Tynan IV with art by Javier Fernandez. Um, this book's been good. This book's been good. I'm not going to say it's been great, but this is kind of required reading heading into um, the conclusion of Year of the Villain, into Death Metal by... Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, and then later into 5G. So definitely pick this up. It's been a fun book. It really has. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Apex Lex Luthor's first run-in with the infected didn't go as planned. And the Batman Who Laughs influence is continuing to spread. Now Lex must find out who in the world can think like the Batman Who Laughs. And there are only two folks who come to mind. The first is Batman, who probably has his own ideas for Lex. The other is the Joker, who also likely has his own ideas, but who just may be wants to see this twisted doppelganger sent back to the dark multiverse he came from. It's a gamble Lex has to take because the infected are gearing up for round two. So I think it's cool. Um, the idea is cool. The characters are cool. Um, pick it up. Next up, we have X-Men number seven, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Lanil Francis Yu. Uh, it's just been great. <laughs> it is a slow burn story but i'm really excited to check it out the cover looks super cool with apocalypse like breaking through this glass um uh this glass painting of nightcrawler with his giant ass claymore sword so let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here mutants are forever the resurrection protocols have changed everything for mutant kind no more can humans hate and fear take their lives from them. But what else has it changed? So, I'm in. <laughs> the book's been really good so far. It is a slow burn, a slow read. So if you um, want to take your time with it, feel free to. But I promise you the book's been really, really good. Next up we have Batman, Curse of the White Knight, number 7 of 8. Written and illustrated by Sean Gordon Murphy. This book's been so good. It's been so good. And this is the penultimate issue of um, of this book. My, uh, my local comic book shop... Uh, House of Secrets. I was recommended this book by uh, Leland over there. Shout out to them. Uh, he said there is a two-page spread in this book, which is really, really good. So I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, let's go ahead and just jump into the synopsis here. Bruce Wayne and Batman have come undone. Powerless after learning the truth behind his family's name and legacy, Bruce prepares to shed all of his secrets and make one final appeal to the people of Gotham, as Azrael takes control of the city. So this is really cool. We just found out, spoilers, last week or last issue that the Waynes are not truly the Waynes. So I, I love what uh, Murphy's doing with this. The book's been great so far and I'm really excited to check it out. Next up, we have X-Men Fantastic Four, number two of four, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Terry Dodson. The first issue, I will say, um, was a little... I didn't know exactly where they were going with it, but I'm hoping that the uh, second issue finds its grounding, especially with a great cliffhanger from last issue. So let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. 
The world has been reshaped by the X-Men, but you can't reshape a world without encountering its true master, Doom. So, bringing in Doctor Doom, as you can see uh, from the cliffhanger last issue was really, really cool. I'm looking forward to it. Um, anytime Doctor Doom is brought into a story, it is instantly elevated, so I'm excited about this. Next up, we have Batman Superman number 7, written by Joshua Williamson, with art by Nick Darrington. I'm so excited Nick Darrington's on this book! I love Nick Darrington's art, and Joshua Williamson absolutely crushed it with the first arc of Batman Superman, and I'm really excited by the potential of this arc. So, let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. In the aftermath of The Infected, Batman and Superman create new measures to prevent hidden and dangerous supervillain plots in the future. Using new technology to track villains throughout the DC Universe, the Dark Knight and the Man of Steel are startled to discover that General Zod has returned to Earth, and that his new target is Ra's al Ghul. What is Zod's plan, and what does it have to do with the destroyed bottle city of Kandor? Find out in the first chapter of a two-part epic featuring the work of artist Nick Darrington. So yeah, really excited. I'm sad, because that means that it's only going to be two issues of Darrington, but I hope that this is kind of like the gateway into him doing more. Um, this is exactly the kind of story that would bring these two together, and I love that they're doing something like this. But my big book of the week, the book I'm really freaking excited about, the book that I think is a must-pick up, is Far Sector number 4 of 12, written by N.K. NK Jemison with art by Jamal Campbell. This book's been so good. It really has. If you have not dived into this, pick up the previous three issues, pick up this fourth issue. Um... I've just loved every single issue that has come out. Really, really digging it. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. With the so-called Peace Division firing upon the protesters it's meant to protect, new Green Lantern Joe Mullane devises a novel solution to bring the chaos to a close, one that causes the Rookie Lantern to run afoul of the city Enduring's leadership council. Meanwhile, we learn more about Joe's recruitment into the Green Lantern Corps and the nature of her mysterious and unique power ring. So I'm digging it. I'm excited. The last issue left off with that awesome cliffhanger of the um, the Peace Division, which is hilarious, firing into a crowd of unarmed protesters. So altogether being compelling, current, and uh, engaging. I think it's a real, real good look for the book and it makes me excited to pick this book up also getting some background finally getting some answers there's a lot of questions when it comes to um joe's green lantern status like is she an official green lantern why is her ring different does she have a power battery so i'm looking forward to hopefully getting some info on that and looking forward to getting some more of her origin and that does it for this week's comics countdown to recap we have falcon and winter soldier number one of five year of the villain hell arisen number three of four x-men number seven Batman Curse of the White Knight, number 7 of 8. X-Men Fantastic Four, number 2 of 4. Batman Superman, number 7. And Far Sector, number 4 of 12. 
And that's going to wrap up this week's episode, just doing a really quick re-recording of the outro, um, because unfortunately this episode will be going up late this week. Um, I am re-uploading this uh, today as I'm recording this um, on Friday, so we'll be going up a couple days late. I do apologize for that. Uh, this past week has been crazy. I've been doing a lot of stuff, so I have been uh, unable to get this uploaded on time, and I apologize. Uh, next week will be on time i promise and i'm really excited about next week's episode as we continue the march to episode 100 really excited about it and as has been the case for the last few episodes i'm gonna give you a little breadcrumb about what episode 100 might be about which is uh basically i've told you before that it's going to be a superman story or it's going to be a superman focused episode but it's going to be on a superman story that we have not covered on this podcast before really excited about it looking forward to it there's only two episodes left before we hit our landmark episode 100 and also episode 99 is going to be our two-year anniversary i cannot believe it we're two years in the podcast thank you so 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 much for sticking with us all this time uh kind of as I learned the ropes on how to do podcasts and figuring it out as I go. This is a podcast, of course, by a geek, for geeks, uh, and it's just been a blast. And I'm really excited to see where year three takes us. So um, if you enjoyed everything that uh, we talked about today, if you learned anything, uh, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and feel free to give us uh, ratings and reviews, especially on uh, Apple Podcasts. That really helps, helps us out and gets us into the stratosphere and into the uh, orbit of listeners just like you. So uh, tune in next week for episode number 98. Same, no, different on time geek time, but same geek channel. And for now, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for your patience. And we will see you next time.
pay And you don't have to hide away, yeah You'll be my boy But for now it's time to run, it's time to run Tomorrow is another day When the night fades away